0: We're going to do a brief message here, finishing up our series for Advent called To Us, rooted in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. So very quickly, friends, we are excited this Christmas season here, this Christmas Eve, for one reason, uh, the main reason, there's many reasons, but the main reason is Jesus And if you got any kind of hint from Tyree's message there, Jesus is God come to our world to make right what we made wrong. And that is the short version of the good news of Jesus, is that God saves sinners. We are those sinners who need a Savior. I would like to very quickly trace a theme in the Bible, very quickly, a theme of light, and in our world, especially at this Christmas time, we light up everything, don't we? we? We light up our houses with Christmas lights, we light up our Christmas trees, we light candles, and we are attracted to lights. When it's cold outside, um, before electronic heat, we would have to make a fire. and the fire would bring light and heat, and it was a benefit, and it was a good. And in the Bible, in the very opening pages, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, we see that there was darkness across the universe, a dark existence. Yet there was God, triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing, satisfied within himself, relationally connected as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what we have here is God... We can only imagine architecting creation in eternity past. So we would imagine God never exists, or always existing, predating all matter, predating all uh, angelic beings and spiritual beings, God. And what was he doing for eternity? Well, he was architecting Creation. He was architecting the future. He was designing. He was creating in his consciousness together the Trinity. And when that architecting was complete, we can only imagine what that looked like. God said in the first words of our Bible, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And here is the first recorded words we have of God. Let there be light. Let there be light. And we get this image of light at the very outset of the scriptures. And we have this dark, formless void. So I I imagine it like this. I imagine the earth as just a watery ball. And it's kind of without void or without form. And it's... And there's nothing on it, no life, no land. And God begins to create. And the first thing He does is He brings forth light. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day. Now, if you take Genesis, the creation account, in Genesis 1 and 2, as 6, 7 literal creation days, 24-hour days, then we have an interesting challenge because and you have light before the sun and moon and stars on day four. It's very interesting. So God says, let there be light, yet he doesn't say, let there be sun, moon, and stars until day four. But is that a problem for God, who is himself light? Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 that God, Jesus, dwells in unapproachable light. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Is it a problem for the God, the creator, the maker, the architect to say, let there be light without sun, without stars, them being suns? I think it is possible. And I think the Bible makes clear that that's what he did. And it's interesting that on day six, we human beings come into this space that God made for us. Now, another interesting thing about Genesis is it's from the vantage point of Earth. God puts the stars, the billions of galaxies, each themselves containing billions of stars, and we only see it from Earth's vantage point. They're for lights, and they're for times, and they're for seasons. And then he puts us into this world that he's created called Earth. Now, we see this in Genesis 1, And specifically, verse 27, we have this. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And the idea here, friends, is this. We, of all of God's creation, not the fish or the birds or the aardvarks, none of them are made in God's image. We, as human beings, male and female, not angels, we are made in God's image. And we bear dignity and worth and value on the basis not of what you can do or how you've done in life or where you live or how much your portfolio value is or whatever you're basing your worth on that's not, you're made in the image of God or you're a son and daughter of God through Jesus. Listen, if that's not your primary value, you have a value that can crumble easily. You have your worth rooted in something that is so shaky Because everything else outside of you being in the image of God and being remade into the image of Christ through the gospel is very temporary and shaky. But friends, here's what has happened to us. We, as human beings, are created into this perfect world and we get a choice by God. He says, I'm going to give you one restriction. Our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, literal people, are given a choice. You can either obey me and believe that life is good on my terms, or you can disobey me and make your own decision about how life should work, and you can go your own way and be autonomous. That's the choice. And what's interesting about the account in Genesis is that we're given one restriction in a world of grace. There's one thing we cannot do is eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but yet we can do whatever else, one restriction. And it's an opportunity for obedience. It's an opportunity, friends, for us to show that we do indeed trust that God's word is true, that this will bring harm, that this will be not good for us, that this will cause downfall and death, as God had said. And, well, we went ahead and chose autonomy, We chose not to be under God's rule. We chose not to be under God's word. And we chose to take our own advice rather than listen to God. And we ate. Right? Genesis 3 says that Eve took some of the fruit. She ate it and gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And immediately, friends, you know what happened? The whole fabric of the universe was ripped. It was torn. Brokenness entered perfection. And darkness began To overcome the light in a way that now we live in a broken universe we live in a broken world we've unleashed by our first parents darkness into our experience because now we have sin and death in our own lives you know this is true about everybody you come in contact with because we say things like this nobody's perfect What do you you expect? Nobody's perfect. Well, that is an evidence, that very statement is an evidence that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How did this happen? Well, when Adam sinned against God's command, who was given do not eat directly to him, he had sons, Cain and Abel. And the second two people on the planet end up in conflict and there's murder, Cain kills his brother Abel. And he is jealous of him because the Lord accepts his sacrifice and not the sacrifice of, of Cain. And so God comes and says, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Cain says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And, and the rest of the Bible is a story story. Of blood, is it not? I mean, it's just a story of fighting and conflict and war and oppression and depression and tears and satanic opposition towards humanity and towards God. Darkness, friends. But there's a a glimmer of hope, like a little match is lit in Genesis 3 after God curses Adam. He curses the ground and he curses uh, the, the female's childbearing and he curses the relationship because... Now Eve is going to desire the husband's role to take over, and then he's going to try to oppose that by ruling over her harshly. Marriage is cursed. The ground is cursed. Childbearing is cursed. And the whole experience, your experience, my experience, is cursed. And it feels like that sometimes, right? Is it all flowers and roses and puppies and kittens with no claws? Yeah, right. It would be awesome. But it's not. And we see a little spark... When God is cursing the snake, he says to the snake, whom Satan was inhabiting in some way to deceive Adam and Eve, he says, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to eat dust all the days of your life, and you are going to encounter a seed, a person, an offspring, a one single seed of this woman here. And that one seed is going to crush your head, snake. But as He is crushing your head. You're also going to strike his heel and give him a blow as well. And that's the first spark in the scriptures of what we know as the gospel, the good news of Jesus. This seed would come through uh, a family. One man who was barren, his name was Abraham Abraham, with his wife Sarah were so old they could not have children, and God miraculously gave them the ability to have a child. And Abraham has his son Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob has 12 children, the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you read the story in the book of Genesis, and by the way, we have Bibles on the back for those of you who don't have Bibles. We would love for you to take a Bible for free. And we would love for you to read the, sh- the long version of the short account I'm giving now. Read it for yourself. Please, take a Bible, they're free. We would love for you to take one. And through this family, these 12 sons, this nation would be born called the Jewish people or the Israelites. And from this nation of people would come one Messiah, one Savior, and His name would be Jesus. And we see here in the prophet Isaiah this promise. In Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7, "...for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. And of the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That promise to the snake of his head being crushed would come through this child this son given and the ultimate fulfillment of this promise has not happened yet because the government is not on the shoulders of this snake crusher. The government is on the shoulders of fools all over the world. Yes. And trust me, if you were ruling America too, we'd be like this guy, this gal's an idiot. (laughs) You would not be doing much better. Don't think of yourself so highly that you can solve America's problems, okay? But there is one coming who will solve the world's problems, friend. It's this snake crusher, this spark of light promised in Genesis chapter 3. Now, let's go back to Adam real quick. Adam failed, and as we talked about Cain and Abel, from their offspring, every child born, man and woman, has received what the Bible calls the sin nature. This is why you've never met a perfect person, ever. You've never come in contact with someone who was not in some way, shape, or form extremely broken. This is why you can look within yourself and see utter brokenness. It shows up in the middle of the night when you wake up. It shows up when you're by yourself. It shows up when you turn the radio off in your car and you're driving and there's nothing but you. You know it. There's a brokenness deep within you. And the Bible makes clear sense of why this is. Why have you never met a perfect person? Why is it that you know there's something utterly broken in you? Why do you feel the darkness the way that you feel it? And the answer is this. The sin nature that Adam inherited after he disobeyed God has been passed to us. The darkness has come into our experience through childbirth. There's a king in the Bible named David. And David chooses to do a wicked thing with a woman that wasn't his wife, and he's confronted by a prophet named Nathan, and he repents of the sin that he committed. And he writes this psalm, it's Psalm 51, a psalm you might be very familiar with. And I just want to read you the very uh, first part of that psalm, it's Psalm 51.5. David says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, in another translation, it says this. I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. This points to this fact we're going to see in Romans 5 that says this. Every person at conception receives the brokenness of Adam. Without exception, every single person born through a male, passed down from Adam, receives the brokenness, the darkness of Adam. It's called sin or the sin nature. And you see, friends, as it's been said, you know it's true. We don't become sinners because we sin. There's a deeper problem. We have a disease called sin. And the symptoms of this disease called sin is various sins. We don't sin because we're sinners. Or, I'm sorry, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's the way it works. And there was one, friends, this child whom Tyree and Micah read for us another prophecy from Isaiah a virgin will give birth. Remember the seed of the woman back in Genesis 3? promise to the snake there's going to be this seed of the woman this child of the woman that's going to crush your head well listen there was no male involved in the birth of Jesus and so the sin nature that we all received the brokenness that we all received didn't get passed to him he was born sinless that's why we can never ever ever do away with the virgin birth friends I don't care how unpopular it is you do away with the virgin birth you do away with the gospel We don't have a sinless Christ, and if he's not sinless, he can't live perfectly in your place and mine, and he can't say, I have come to fulfill the law. Friends, Jesus lived perfectly in my place and in your place. That's the good news of this gospel. Christmas is about this son being born, this son being given through this seed of the woman who we know is Mary, and he would live perfectly in our place. Friends, this is the good news that every time you lied, Jesus didn't. Every time you went and hide and hid in shame, Jesus never had to hide in shame. Every time that you disrespected someone and gossiped behind their back, or you were selfish, or you, Jesus never was. And when we come to him, Turning from our sin and trusting in his perfection, trusting that his work on the cross would pay for your sin and for mine, we can be forgiven of all of our sins. And not only that, we can be given his perfection as a gift. You see, in Romans 5.12, we learn this. Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. We inherited this sin nature from Adam and every one of us since Adam have experienced spiritual death and we've experienced physical death. But Jesus has come and he was not spiritually dead. He was spiritually alive. And had we not killed him, he would not have died. Yet he gave up his life that we might live. Friends, he said, I didn't come... uh, to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And he also said this, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord, and I can take it back up again. Now, let's, let's look now at John 1, to 1-5. Very quickly, I have a few minutes left. We learn this from Jesus' disciple, who was like his best friend, one of his good friends, the disciple whom Jesus loved. We read this in the very first Verses of John, in the beginning was the word, that's logos, the organizing principle behind the whole universe. That's what that means. The word of God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life, listen, was the light of men. That life, the life of Jesus, was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, spiritually speaking, Jesus came as the brightest light that ever walked on this earth. And we, in our darkness as human beings, and the spiritual darkness could not overcome Him. Though He was killed by the darkness, buried in darkness... He rose up out of that darkness and overcame darkness and dawned light. And now, friends, we have that light. This is the good news, that the light of life has come. And for us who are in Christ, we're connected to Him, we have His Spirit dwelling in us, such that on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus in John chapter 8 stands up in the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles and great candles are lit all through the court of the women and the light is blazing up from the temple and Jesus stands in the middle of that moment and says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Friends, we put that light out, God lit that light back up and now he gives us that same light for us to walk out into this dark world and be lights. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that you, friends, are the light of the world? When you walk into the darkness of your workplace and you're the only Christian there, do you realize that you are a blazing light sitting in your cubicle? Or friends that are Uber drivers? I know there's a bunch of you in there. When you're driving around the city of Pittsburgh or whatever city you find yourself in, do you realize, spiritually speaking, there's light emanating out of your car, shining, if we could see spiritually? And we are the light of the world. You need to see yourself this way. If you see yourself as brightening up wherever you are, this is what mission is, friends. We are to bring the light of the good news of Jesus to whoever we come in contact with. When the light hits darkness, what does it do? It makes darkness flee. Darkness can't live in the presence of light. And we are being perfected as well because the light of Christ is in us by His Spirit and He is slowly transforming us and dispelling our darkness. Isn't that good news? That though we once were wicked, now we are not as wicked as we were and the hope is that maybe next year we won't be as wicked as we are now? Yes. And listen, it's okay to say I'm wicked. Like we know. If you pretend you're not, we just know you're fooling yourself. It's okay to say, yeah, I'm broken, man. I'm busted. Why am I pretending I'm not broken when I know I am? If you'll just admit it, you'll have such an easier time clinging to Jesus who's not broken. But if you yourself think, I'm okay, I'm good, I don't need anyone, I don't need anything, I can walk this out on my own, you're never going to come to the place where you need Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, friends. What that means is... Listen, the church and God's people is more like a hospital than a museum. And I got this from Tim Keller. I think it's brilliant. Sometimes the outside world looks at Christians and they look at the church like it should be a museum where you come in and you are amazed by brilliant works of art and shining pictures with, you know, spotlights all over them. And yet, and yet they come into the church or they come in contact with Christians and they're like, that's messed up. Yeah. You know why? Because you're messed up, and you're a part of a church. But listen, if we think of the church more like a hospital than a museum, we get it a little more right. Because Jesus didn't say, I came for those who are polished and clean and are worthy of spotlights. He said, I came for the broken. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And so if the church is for the sick people, because that's who Jesus came from, then we should come into the church and we should come into contact with Christians expecting to find sick people who know they're sick and are clinging to the one who's not. Shake your head, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Because we are the sick who need the healer, the savior, the doctor who's not sick. And we should have a view of churches and of Christians that they are sick people getting well. I am a sick person getting well. Wouldn't it be fantastic that if we came to Christ, instantaneously you'd be perfect? Wouldn't that be fantastic? be awesome. Like I would just love you and be patient with you and never be selfish and never be, ah, oh, again. That never. Just always outpouring in love. But I know it's sad. It is. But unfortunately, God has chosen a process of us becoming so listen, Christians are becoming people, and you are still in the process, so don't, don't get discouraged, don't give up, and let's finish with 1 John 5, uh, 1, 5 to 10. John in 1 John is saying this, he says, I'm an eyewitness to this Jesus, this light, this crusher of the snake. In Genesis 3, he said, I I not only saw him with my eyes, I touched him with my hands. I heard him with my ears. I was there. I felt the waters crashing in on us, and I witnessed him speak to the raging sea, and it became like glass. And that salt water was dripping off of me as in amazement I looked at him and said, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? I was there. And we pick up in John, 1 John 1, 5 to 10, this. This is the message that we have heard from him. And we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, now he, here's, here's the hard part of the message. And then we'll get bright again. And then we'll light candles and we'll sing and it'll be awesome. Okay? But this is going to be the dark part. When we claim to be Christians, remember I said we're a becoming people now. If we're in the same exact place we were when we came to Christ five years ago, ten years ago, even six months ago, absolutely nothing has changed. The question is, are you really standing there where you think you're standing there? Because when we come to Christ, a radical thing happens to us. The Bible says clearly that we get a new heart. The heart is the center of your being. You're transformed internally. Not to be perfect, you're still broken, but you get a new heart. You get new desires, and from those new desires come new actions. All of a sudden, the things you once loved that were darkness, all of a sudden you begin to get a distaste for. And though you might still struggle with them and they might deceive you and they might attract you and you might give in, ultimately when you taste it, you're like, tastes terrible. You're becoming... You see, but if you can stand in the same place you were before you found Jesus and nothing has changed and your tastes have not changed and your affections have not changed and you can just, if you will, sin all day long and go to bed and think everything's all good, you may not actually be standing where you think you're standing. See, this is the warning of 1 John. Let me read it again. He says, This is the message we heard from him, this Jesus. And we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him, if we're tight with him, if we're in with him, if we have a relationship, and we walk in darkness and do not practice the truth, then we lie. We lie and we do not practice the truth. So what we can say is this. We can say, if I'm in Christ, I am in relationship with him. Things are changing. Am I where I want to be? No. Oh, my gosh. And we beg for mercy and grace. We're a becoming people. But if we can stand here satisfied in our darkness, listen, we need to wake up. We need to wake up and reexamine where we are and say, am I really even a Christian? Did anything change? Did God get a hold of me? Did he come and indwell me? Because that's another promise of the new covenant is that when we come to Christ, we are filled with his spirit. Not only will he give us a new heart, A new spirit, he gives us his spirit, and it changes us. It begins to radically transform us. But, here's the hope, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. See, here's the contrast. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what does that mean? You see brokenness in yourself, which you will all the time, what do you do? Do you run and hide like Adam and Eve did? God comes into the garden, Adam, where are you? And he's, and he's hiding behind a tree, and he's covered himself up with fig leaves. And she has covered herself up with fig leaves. And now they're hiding from each other, they're hiding from God. But see, wh- what happens when we come to Christ? We realize that Jesus took our shame. Jesus now pulls us out of the darkness. He says, come on out, come on out. No need to hide anymore. And we walk in the light. And as we walk in the light, friends, our evil deeds will be exposed. What do you do in that moment? Do you run and hide or do you run to him who says, I'll cleanse you. I'll wash you. I'll forgive you. All you got to do is come to me. Just come to me. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened. And I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls. That's what he says to you. So you have a choice. When darkness enters your experience, you can run from the light and hide. Or you can run to the light and be embraced. Friends, I pray that every one of us finds ourselves in a place tonight where we're running to the light daily, multiple times a day. And listen, he is standing over here in blazing glory with his hands wide open to you, ready to receive you. Why would you want to run from him? Why would you want to run from him and hide in your sin and shame and darkness? Do you like the guilt? Do you like sitting in guilt? Okay, I'm sorry. It's Christmas Eve. If we say we have no sin, verse 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, so we never want to be people who as Christians say, I have no sin. And if we never want to be people who say, I have no sin, then we should be able to lovingly confess our sins, not only to God, but to one another. Friends, this is how we get victory in the Christian life. If you're hiding all of your brokenness and trying to keep it concealed, those closest to you see it. It comes out all the time. It can't help but come out. But listen, in a, in a right relationship with God and His people, you can say, I'm broken, and just let it out there. And you know what other Christians should be doing? They should say, you know what? I receive you in your brokenness because I am broken, and I hope and pray you would receive me in my brokenness. Right? Do unto others as you would. Wow, you guys are dead tonight. Do unto others as you would. you. Thank you. Right? So if I come to you and say, yo, I got this brokenness, you got to help me. That now frees you to drop your fig leaf and say, okay, I'm broken too. Here's the way I'm broken. And now that it's in the light, now we might get some victory over this. Friends, but if we're hiding all of our darkness and pretending it's not there and pretending we don't have any sin, you're not going to get better. So maybe that's the problem tonight. You're just, you've been hiding like Adam and Eve, and you've not come into the light. And if you don't have any relationships in your life that are Christian enough that you can expose yourself in the right way, then that may be a problem. That may be the problem. You don't have fellowship. Real, legit fellowship that you can say, look, I'm broken, help me. And then they, in return, can say, hey, I'm broken too, help me. This is the Christian life. We live in the light, exposing ourselves. As the light comes in and invades our darkness, we don't run to the darkness and hide. John three nineteen, men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Yeah. Friends, we don't want to be those people. Can we make a commitment tonight, this Christmas Eve, that we will be people of the light who will not run from the light into the dark, but we will run to the light in our darkness? Yes? Amen. Thank you. Thank you for a few hands. I appreciate it. <laughs> If we say we have not sinned, actually, I skipped one of the best verses in the whole Bible, verse 9. If we confess our sins to God and to one another, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to wash us, to purify us from what? All unrighteousness. Friends, all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how dark or how ugly or how foul it was or it is, you can be washed and cleansed. That's the good news of Christmas that though we are grimy and foul and dripping with slime and sludge, Jesus comes to us and just says, man, confess and I'll wash you clean. I'll give you my cleansing as a gift. This is light. And we run to the light, not from it. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And then Ephesians 5.8 says, we were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Once we were darkness, let's own it, yes. But now... We are light in the Lord. Let's be people of the light, friends. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let's ask him to empower us more and more to be the light. All right, now we're going to sing Christmas famous songs, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. So here's what to expect. We're all going to stand up. Everyone have a candle? Go ahead, stand up. Everyone have a candle? If you don't have a candle, put your hand up. We have a basket that will make its way to you with a candle. Anyone not have a candle? Okay, looks like we all have candles. Excellent. So here's what to expect. We're going to sing the first song together with the lights on. At the end of the first song, our two manly men are going to come walking down the front with the fire and they're going to light the, out, the inside rows and then you are graciously and carefully, without catching anyone's hair on fire or clothing, light each other's candles. Okay? What are we doing in this moment? Listen, friends, this is what we're doing. We're saying, yes, I see it. I see that Jesus Christ was the light. He is the light of the world. And I want to run to Him as the light of the world to cleanse me of my darkness. Maybe you can do it instead of singing the first song. You could say, forgive me of my sins. Wash me and cleanse me of my darkness. Maybe that should be your response instead of singing the first song. And then you, as a result of confessing your sins and putting it out there and clinging to the light, you become the light, friends. As you hold this light in your hands, it's a representative of you in the world. Once we were darkness, now we are light. Do you see yourself that way? I pray that this act of lighting candles and singing helps you to see yourself in that way. Let me pray and we will sing. Father, thank you for this opportunity to talk about Jesus this Christmas season. Thank you that we have hope that our sins can be forgiven, our darkness can be lit up, and that our brokenness can be put back together. Father, thank you that we are charged to live in the light as you are in the light. That doesn't mean being perfect. It means confessing our sins, and clinging to you for forgiveness and help. Would you help us to walk in the light as you were in the light? And would you help us to put our guard down and to find a Christian community that we might share and bear one another's burdens with? Please, may we be people of the light. And may this Christmas Eve and tomorrow Christmas Day be a refreshing and uh, a renewing time that we meet with you and find you near. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen.